When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Silence were Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually, where we will be rewatching the brilliant and, in my opinion, nearly perfect TV series Battlestar Galactica. I am Jamie Smith, and one time I was Boomer for Halloween. <laughs> Joining me is my co-host Diallo Jackson. Diallo, were you you ever a Battlestar Galactica character for Halloween? I never was a Battlestar Galactica character ever. I don't really dress up Mm. for Halloween very much. Maybe I was a Cylon just uh, (laughs) walking around. (laughs) A secret Cylon? Yeah, maybe that's what I was. (laughs) Um, So we will be talking about the 2004 remake, which aired on Sci-Fi back when it was Sci-Fi and not Siffy. (laughs) Um, I don't have any history with the original series, do you? Uh, I have a big history with the original series, (laughs) actually. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, that was, uh, like, it was everything. Like, so, you know, Star Wars had come out, and obviously Battlestar was, I think, a little bit trying to capitalize on that. But that was just like we lived and breathed and couldn't wait for every episode when it came on. It was like event TV for us. And, um, you know, as a kid, I didn't realize it was actually only on for one season. <laughs> I kind of yeah. thought it, it, it. we had in our memory, it felt like it was on for like a long time, but it actually only made it one season. And then they had a... Uh, Galactica 1980, which I knew definitely didn't last very long, but I have some distinct memories about that as well. And so, yeah, um, my relationship with the original show actually informs um, some of the uh, like love and maybe uh, understanding about some choices that I know some people like don't like in the remake, but uh um, we'll get to those down the road probably, but, uh, I have a lot to say about a few things. So, okay, yeah. Um, and so what brought you to the remake? Just the nostalgia love of the original? Yeah. We, you know, my group of people I know, we, we were all looking forward to 
Battlestar Galactica. Again, it just it held held such a high place in our minds. Um, actually, I remember going to uh, Comic Con in 2000, and Richard Hatch. He was actually he had been trying to uh, relaunch Battlestar Galactica, and he showed um, like his version of a remake and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually uh, sort of like car- like continuing the story from the original show. Um, and then when they announced th- the new show, um, you know, it's kind of a, a little bit of a blow because we wanted to see, you know, how their that story ended up. But, uh, you know, we had curious anticipation for this new one. And I do remember, um, you know, being a little grumpy about a few things but <laughs> shocking <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was uh it was it was like you know overall it was thumbs up when it even you know even even with the little bit of the grumpiness i still had thumbs up when i liked the show and uh they took you know from the miniseries they they you know turned it up to 11 for the series and as history as we say the rest of it i have uh a different way in. Um, I did not watch the original. I didn't know really anything about it other than the name. And I did not start watching this show in the first season. I used to, when I lived in LA, every Friday night would go to our friend Sarah's house and we would go out drinking. And one Friday I got there and they refused to go out until Battlestar Galactica was over. (laughs) And I was cranky about that. But I sat down and watched the episode. And probably by the first commercial, I was like, huh, this is actually pretty good. And by the time the show was over, I was like, well, I need to watch this show. So I went out the next day and went to Target and bought the first season on DVD. The second season was currently airing, so I had to wait for that to actually come out on DVD so I could watch what I had missed, and I started watching it week to week after that point. And that episode that got me watching this show is considered the worst episode of the series. Oh my god, was it uh, Black Market? It absolutely was Black Market. That's the one episode. I can't wait till we get there because I'm going to like complain about that one. I hated that episode. <laughs> well, now when I watch it, I'm like, what the fuck is this episode? It has nothing to do with the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. But for me at the time, having no history and not having watched a season and a half or whatever of the show, I was just like, wow, this is really compelling. Mm-hmm. So it... It brought me in, even though now I'm like, how, though? (laughs) so bad. Yeah. Well, you know, like, Bill Duke did give a great performance in that episode. So, I, you know, I give it that. And there's a lot. There's a lot to be said. But what I will say is I – because I used to listen to, like, the podcast uh, uh, that Ron Moore did, like, right after the episodes. And Mm -hmm. I remember him apologizing profusely for that episode. (laughs) It's like, like when Damon Lindelof apologizes for the lost episode where Jack gets his tattoos. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was so. It, it, I felt so validated. I, I was like, okay, it's not just. It wasn't just me. I was because I just remember like, what the hell is, is this? You know. Um, but I could see. You know, he talks about what they were trying to do, and I, you know, I get it. 
but uh i do outsider it was just a it was a dramatic episode a lot of stuff happens Mm -hmm. none of these people meant anything to me yet but Mm -hmm. i was just Mm -hmm. drawn in and wanted to i wanted to learn more about this Mm -hmm. world yeah it yeah i can't i mean i can't wait till we get there but it, it there's a lot of things that it's indicative of the approach to the show and what they did in that episode was there is there is a struggle they always had with uh Leah Dama and they were just trying to do something and that was yeah. their attempt in that episode so um and we'll get there we have a lot yeah we'll to definitely get there <laughs> yeah um <laughs> can't I don't wait till we get Comic-Con. to fatly oh god oh fatly <laughs> Um, I don't have any Comic-Con stories about Battlestar, but I do have a Dragon Con story. Um, a few years ago, they had a Battlestar Galactica panel at Dragon Con here. And when I learned that, I was like, I'm going. That's it. Going. I got there super early so that I could get really good seats. I was right in the front. It was Michael Hogan and Trisha Helfer and James Callis and, um, the guy who plays shit. I don't know. I can't remember what his Cylon name is. Um, it's the, the black guy. Why can't I think of the actor's oh, name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it was funny. I was just because I actually saw him in the airport once. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh... um, but him and the girl who played Cat, the, the girl who played Ellen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a pre- oh, and Katie Sackoff, who was late, she got stuck in traffic, and it was amazing, an amazing panel. And at the end of it, Michael Hogan led us all in a chant of "So say we all," and I bawled, just bawled my eyes out, experiencing <clears throat> that. It was amazing. So um, His- I have a lot of love. For this cast, his name was Rick Worthy. Rick yeah. Worthy, and, yes. yeah, yeah. He I saw him in. I saw cool. him in the security line. I was going up to Vancouver actually, and he was. Uh, we were in the security line, and I was I like, just "Hey, been like he's a Cylon. He's a yeah. Cylon." <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I loved you in Battlestar, man." And he was like, <laughs> "He goes, damn, you went way back." Because <laughs> <laughs> it was like 2018, I think. <laughs> um. Yeah, I have a lot of pictures. I have some videos. Um, it was cool to see them in person. It was really cool to see, like, Trisha Helfer really does look like that. Mm-hmm. She is flawless. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just... Do not I, get me started. <laughs> I love this show. Um, I'm so excited to cover it with you. I just want to um, sort of give some groundwork that... This show's been off the air for, like, more than a decade. And we've both watched it multiple times. So this is not a no-spoilers-allowed kind of show. You know what really struck me, um, just watching this again, um, was that it debuted 20 years ago, which makes me feel old. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um. What I will say is that um, what I'm excited to talk about is how we can look back at what was happening in the world when this came out. Like this, this show came out two years after 9-11 and it was very, very informed by 9-11 and what was going on with 
the war we were fighting at the time and still fighting to an extent and how we can sort of see it through like how we felt at the time and then through this distanced lens of um, how we haven't learned very much about what it means to be human or celebrating our differences and not oppressing each other. Yeah. I mean, should be fun. yeah. And it's, it's also a part of what the show's telling you actually. And I yeah. think that's why it resonates the way it does. Uh, yeah. It's like, like a... even still to this day, like there are things, there are lessons we should be learning that we're not. Or this some of all, us haven't. This all has happened before. All this will happen before and all of it will yeah. happen again. I say it yep. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll be talking about the miniseries today. All three hours of it minus commercials. Um, this aired over two nights on Sci-Fi. And, you know, before I was watching it. So I don't know what that was like to experience in real time, but you could probably talk about that a little. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah. We, you know, and we looked forward to it, watched the first part. We talked about it. Um, and uh, yeah. And then, you know, watching the second part, yeah, I definitely was on board by then. Uh, had some thoughts and we can talk about it as we go through. But it was like, again, it was all thumbs up and uh I only had a, a couple things that I um, was a little bit uh, angsty about, but uh, <laughs> was one of those things the fact that they made Starbucks a woman? It wasn't that they made her a woman. I was actually okay with that piece. Um, it actually was for me. Um, there are two. There were two black characters on the original, and they one of them was Boomer, and they made. It, they made her Sharon Valeri, um, and the other one was Colonel Ty. Um, mm. And so, as a it, especially Boomer for me, growing up, he um, and I actually, uh, I think his, the actor's name is Richard Jefferson. Um, I saw him at I said, I said at that same Comic Con in two thousand, and I actually walked up to him and I I thanked him for being in the position he was in to be on that show at that time because growing up we didn't really have very many black characters especially in sci-fi for for people of color to like look up to mm -hmm. and so i you know i thanked him just for you know being in that space and being there so it was a little disappointing to me um that there there wasn't that level of inclusion you know when i look at the show there aren't very many black people on it um, to be honest, um, but um, it's so good. I don't hold that against it. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, the the new boomer um, is incredible. So the, um, the Starbucks part, I, I didn't care. I just I just wanted it to be good. Um, I had some issues with her acting in the first season, but uh... <laughs> she she gets better over time. Grace Park. Yeah. I think this was maybe her first role. I'm not she, positive about that, but she was... It was her most, her most extensive role. I saw her in a couple small things okay. before, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like Katie Sackhoff comes a long way. Mm -hmm. she, she really grows into her character and grows into her abilities. Um, I think, you know, to be honest, overall, if it's not... Uh, if it's not Adama or Roslyn or really 
Colonel Ty, maybe even I think um, Aaron Douglas is pretty set in. He's very like solid in his character from the start mm-hmm. as chief. Everybody else really had to grow. Um, I yeah, I mean I I mean I differ in opinion opinion there, but I think the only. The, I feel like almost everybody was kind oh, James of there. Callis. James Callis is pretty Yeah, solid like James too. Callis. I thought, I mean, I thought, I thought uh, Lee, Adama, I don't know if you said Lee Adama, but I, I feel like. I think Jamie Bamber gets better over time too. Yeah, I feel like that comes with the material he's given, but I actually feel like his craft was there. Um, and when you, like, when I realized later that he's actually English, uh, mm-hmm. blew my mind, blew my mind. He's um, also in Band of Brothers. He has okay. a pretty small role in Band of Brothers. And he plays an American in that too. So okay. yeah, same. Like yeah. I, I knew that most of the cast of Band of Brothers were British, mm-hmm. but he had such a small role that I didn't realize that these were the same people until I watched Battlestar and then rewatched Band of Brothers, and I was like, oh shit, he's American in this too. Wait, but he's British. It's just shocking to me. He he has no hints of his British accent. Yeah, like none at all. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it Starbuck definitely. When she, <laughs> I remember, like when season two started, and like we had come back from the hiatus, and I remember saying to my friend, "Wow, I feel like she took acting classes over the break. Yeah. She's she's a lot better from season one to season two. Yeah, um, but Katie's it was never a lot better. Yeah, but it was never like a distraction, and I like a, a lot of it was. Like the way they chose to film it, um, kind of lent itself to mm-hmm. them not having to have these like, you know, thespian Shakespearean performances. So yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, I, for whatever reason, Boomer really resonated with me from the start, which is why I chose to dress up like her for Halloween. Mm-hmm. I want to just be clear. I was in no way appropriating any culture. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't darken my skin or even darken my hair. I just wore her clothes and got a dog tag. I actually ordered a dog tag online that was octagonal and said boomer on it. And um, I just really always loved her and loved Athena Um for whatever reason, that model of Cylon just really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I named my car Hilo, and now when I, ha- <laughs> I got a new car, it is an upgrade. Uh, I now drive a Prius, and since that is a robot, her name is Athena. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yes, this show is very important to me. <laughs> I mean, I still, when I write now, I always say, like, you know, thank the gods and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So it's even years later. I just, it's what I do. I say so, say we all quite a bit. Yeah, or like, uh, oh, Lords of Cobol. I say, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Even to people that don't know what I'm talking about, I just, uh, whatever. It's just what I do now, so. (laughs) All right, so... The show starts out, I think, the first episode, at least for the first half of it probably, is just really establishing. We're learning who our characters are. We're getting a feel for what's happening on the Galactica. It's being decommissioned and turned into a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there's little things that you don't catch the first time that you catch later, like that they are not networked. And that doesn't sound like it would be important, but it turns out to be very important later. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff about using old technology, because when they fought the Cylons 40 years earlier, the Cylons kept being able to get into their technology. So they went backwards. So they have phones that have cords on them. And, um, you know, just using older technology that the Cylons couldn't infiltrate. Which I thought... They did a great, yeah, I thought they did a great, uh, the way that they conveyed all of that information was actually pretty brilliant because they didn't have a bunch of separate scenes and lots of exposition to, to convey that information. It was around the motif of, uh, Starbuck jogging around the ship mm -hmm. and, um, you got to see all of the players that were going to be involved and side conversations and um, even little character moments. And that was so there was a feeling of movement um, and uh, it definitely let you you kind of like get all the things that you needed to get set for what was going to be happening later. Yeah. Um, and you meet people that you don't know necessarily are going to matter, but end up doing um, like Gata. And you see Ty, who's going off duty and starts drinking right away. You get Chief, who ends up being very important. Um, who else do we see on that jog? Callie? <laughs> we see Callie. We see... Fucking I wrote Callie. down... I wrote... Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's such a, you know... Well, you know, we'll talk about it, I guess, at some point. But her real life uh, ex escapades uh, have tainted the had tainted her character in the show a little bit. But I actually really enjoyed the character for the time. But I know some people have issues with her. But at um, first, Callie didn't bother me. Later, Callie bothered me. Yeah. Um. I. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote down, it was just funny for me, I wrote down uh, uh, not Kevin Dillon. So <laughs> the character that uh, was on the show, I, I didn't get his, the, the character's name because he's only in this episode, but the, he's like the, um, he's he works with uh, Tyrol and uh, Callie. And, oh, yeah, he dies. Yeah, yeah, he dies. And I wrote down Kevin Dillon. I kept writing down <laughs> Kevin Dillon, R.I.P. <laughs> um. We see Boomer and Hilo. Um, oh, is this when they're right? They are playing their game. Their yeah, card they, game. Yeah, they jump to the card game. Um, you see a couple, um, like some, a couple things that tie into the old show, which is um, you know Starbucks smoking the cigar, the little stogie, um, which is like a thing that it, the OG Star Starbucks did. Um, and they established sort of the uh, the idea that the the conflict between the characters again, um, it was uh, like with with uh, Ty and Starbuck, like right off the bat, mm -hmm. being sort of antagonistic. But it was interesting also to show that the XO was playing a card game with the you know the rank and file, yeah. so. I learned, I did listen to the first episode of Battlestar Galacticast today, which I listened to years ago, and I went back and listened to today. That's with um, Trisha Helfer and Mark Bernardin, who 
covered the show for Entertainment Weekly back mm-hmm. then when he was a journalist. And she said that when Ty says star, buck, 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 yeah, buck, that, buck, that, buck, yeah. that was an ad lib. Oh, that's hilarious. Michael Hogan added that and they loved it. So they kept it. They call that track, I think on the on the soundtrack, they call it Starbuck Book, I think, <laughs> for that piece too, which is hilarious. Funny. Um, and so we see Ty doesn't like losing the game, so he kicks over a table and Starbuck jumps up and punches him. How's your wife? <laughs> How is your wife, Ty? Oh, God. Uh, Soon enough, yeah. we will know. We will know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this really establishes like she's got a hot temper. He's got a hot temper. He immediately throws her in the brig, which keeps her out of the out of the fight at first. Mm-hmm. As well. Saves her life. Yeah, yeah, that's true because she would have been in the original Vipers, the ones that lost power. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in Caprica City, we meet Laura Roslin, who at this time is Secretary of Education, and she finds out she has breast cancer. Yeah, we also see uh, the Serenity from Firefly. I have fly yet, through the scene. I've never noticed it because I'm always watching Mary McDonald because she's yeah. so incredible always that I right. can never take my eyes off her. It uh, kind of takes me out of it a little bit just to see it, but it's yeah. like right before it's the last ship to fly down. Right before it like focuses on her. Okay. Yeah. Um, is she a character in the original Rosalind? No, no, she's not. She's completely new. Um, although I do think that this character was stolen from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Was the character in your brain played by Mary McDonald? No, hmm. but this actually ties a little bit into like um, a little bit into sort of like the genesis and approach of uh, Battlestar. But so I used to watch Voyager and was very frustrated with it often. And I actually came up with this concept of, like, it would be cool. I th- actually even think I sent it into, like, I'm not saying anyone stole it from me. But I actually think I sent it into, like, you know, the studio or whatever. But um, it would be cool if they created a character that had an incurable disease. And that would create a, a feeling of suspense or, you know, um, threat so that, we would always like because they were just cruising through the delta quadrant and just chilling and i was like there was no like there's no conflict ever at all and um and so when i saw them use that on, <laughs> on this show i was like oh man okay i guess i was on the right track <laughs> so <laughs> and you sent this to voyager yeah, yeah, I did because you know um, ron moore like... worked on voyager briefly right yeah i know and but like and it, and it's actually like it's I there's two things I say so like I'm a big fan of like Star Trek Star Trek Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek, um, and Voyager is my one that I despise in a lot of ways, 
Ron Moore worked on both of those, and he feels the same way about both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I often say that Battlestar Galactica, or Deep Space Nine, is the spiritual successor to Battlestar Galactica in a lot of ways. Because a lot of the things that they did on that show, you can see on Battlestar, the way they have like a huge cast of recurring characters that come in and out. Um, a lot of the political intrigue and that sort of stuff. Um, but then you have Voyager, which he worked on, and he left because he was frustrated with the way that they were handling the show, which was they basically ignored the premise and they ignored like the reality of the situation that they were in. And he carried that frustration to fix over into Battlestar Galactica. That was part of the reason why I think they approached things the way that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's all, for me, it was all tied together. (laughs) I do not think that they stole that from me, but uh, (laughs) Well, but, the uh, reason I asked was because I know people would send, like, spec scripts and whatever to shows, and a lot of times things that were in these spec scripts, which you give up the right to your script when you send in a spec, mm-hmm. that right. could find its way, like, a, an idea from a spec could find its way into a actual television show, and you just would never get credit for that. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, my, my character was just like an ensign um, that they just – it would just be like a recurring character. It was something that you would always like have to come back to. Um, but anyways, it was just like the idea that they needed something more than just what they were doing on Voyager. And um, clearly, um, Ron Moore felt the same way. Yeah. <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> so- but, yeah, she's, a, she's an absolutely brand new character. Mary McDonnell is one of those actors that she's a kind of actor that I love because everything she does feels natural. Every mm-hmm. role she plays just feels like weighted and lived in. So this is the first time we see her and we don't know this character. We don't know anything other than she's just been told she has cancer. But mm-hmm. the way she plays her is so compelling that we mm-hmm. just immediately care. And we know mm-hmm. it's Mary McDonnell. Chances are she's in this. This is pre-Game of Thrones. We're not expecting the main people to get killed off anytime soon. So mm-hmm. I figured this isn't going to be the only time I, you know, she's not just in this for the miniseries. I'm sure I'm going to be spending more time with her. But she's just so, she's so spectacular in every everything she does on this show. And Mm-hmm. Even in these first few scenes where we're meeting her, she's got hardly any lines, and she's still just so compelling. She's amazing. Is she, I mean, the way that they show her dealing with the diagnosis is, uh, again, it's a way to show her character and how she handles adversity. So she doesn't get the news and starts bawling and crying. Um, she just kind of like kind of bucks up a little bit and mm-hmm. stays in the moment and um and she's but she's not pre- she's not pretending either she's not like she's trying to be strong it's just kind of like she just has this uh like got to do what you got to do and yeah. so that is how she handles what comes up next yeah i like how she's sort of underestimated later by a lot of people because she's the secretary of education she becomes mm-hmm. the president mm-hmm. but she she does her job with such even though this wasn't the job she wanted or asked for 
it's the one she's given and then she's mm -hmm. like okay well then this is what needs to be done we are going mm -hmm. to save people we are not going to abandon people we're gonna we're gonna do this and just you know one after another like what's the next thing we need to take care of right now and I really love that about her, that she she sort of takes the reins when that responsibility is given to her. She doesn't ask for it. She doesn't go seeking it. She seems to be actively hoping that it doesn't fall on her. Right. But when it does, she's like, okay, then we're going to do this. And she ends up being the one that they needed. Yep. Now, you, you don't, I don't think you watch football, but. Um, I do. To, to okay, so to anyone listening, she's like the Brock Purdy oh, of Battlestar Battle Galactica. I will not take this Jimmy Garoppolo slander. <laughs> hey, this is not Jimmy Garoppolo slander. I think the guy is incredibly good looking. I'm just saying. He is incredibly good looking. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's unnerving to even me, who has, like, has no impulse to like men whatsoever. But even I look at him, I'm like, this guy is, is, is he's so handsome. It's I'm unreal. I'm pretty sure he's the most handsome person who's ever played football. Who's ever played, yeah. And he should not be out there because he could damage that face. <laughs> well, he should he's be not out there right now. I know. I hope he's okay. I, I was yeah. watching, like, this is a sidebar, but I was watching the 49ers game last week, actively rooting yeah. for them because I actually really like the 49ers. Mm -hmm. And watching Brock Purdy play, I was like, Jimmy's Jimmy's not getting his job back. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely he's not. Just not. He's just not. So he can leave yeah. and go be a model and an actor <laughs> and let us appreciate all he has to yeah. offer. yeah. But yeah, Brock Purdy was he was the third he was the last pick in the draft. He was the third string quarterback. You, know you what? just Sometimes never thought that's he was what even happens. the same. That happened with Tom yeah. Brady. Yeah. And then you you end up he ends up like being the guy. Mm -hmm. And that's just like it's just like Rosalind. <laughs> or Tom Brady. <laughs> or Tom Brady, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving on, we get to see our first view of number six. Caprica six. I guess she's not actually Caprica Six. Caprica Six is the one that's in in Baltar's no, later. No, so this she this so this actually is Caprica Six. Um, the one in Baltar's head they call Head Six. Oh, that's true. Actually. Yeah, that's yeah. True. So yeah, this, so this, one, is this Caprica Six. model, yeah, she's the one that's kind of hailed as a hero later by the Cylons. Right. So she's yeah. she kills a baby. You know, I think I think there's a little bit of. This is the first human baby I've ever seen. Uh, oh, it's so fragile. Everyone's going to die soon. I would rather this little creature not have to suffer in that way. So I'm going to kill it now. Yeah, the cool thing about that moment is when she's walking away, she looks sorrowful or yeah, sad. Yeah, she looks really sad. And that's, it. I don't, you don't agree with what she did, but there's like this complexity to it. And again, I think it all ties into the motives for the Cylons and what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing anyway, that we kind of discover as the show goes along. And then we meet Gaius Baltar. Gaius fucking Baltar. <laughs> Who I, uh, many times between 2016 and 2020, compared Donald Trump to. I mean, yeah, he definitely, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even compare him to Donald Trump. They're actually, not one but... to one. 
But whenever yeah. there was something just so supremely narcissistic, uh-huh. I was like, oh, like fucking Baltar over here. Because yeah. I think I think James Callis gives an unparalleled performance in this show. Uh-huh. He's so good. Everything he does is so good. But this character is so infuriating so much of the time. Mm-hmm. But on purpose. It was... Yeah, it was a really bold choice by the showrunner, by Ron Moore, to, like, make Baltar this character. And I, you know, and I I look at, like, the versions of all the characters on this new Battlestar, and this was the most, I think, risky of them all. Because in the OG, he's straight up, you know, bad guy, twirling mustache villain. Um, he basically sells out humanity to the Cylons as well. But there's, you know, he's definitely like more, uh, he directly does it and he's more evil. But in the case of this Baltar, um, you know, there's a lot more to it. Um, and I think, again, we'll get to it way later. Um, but in season, season three, um, Liadama actually basically says all of those things. Yeah. Um, that, Baltar basically, I mean, he's just surviving. And that's the thing about Baltar is he's a survivor. And he doesn't necessarily do what you, like, would want him to do. But um, he doesn't necessarily do bad things either. Like, there are some instances, but... He's, uh, he's always about self-preservation. Yes. It's his always motivating factor. Yeah. Yeah. Always and, and ever. Yes. And that's what head six says to him later when she's like Mm -hmm. they should map your brain because (laughs) he's and she calls him a survivor but he's just he's a self-interested survivor he's Mm -hmm. not a survivor Mm -hmm. because he did anything to survive she saves Mm -hmm. his life when the nuke goes Mm -hmm. off and Mm -hmm. then Hilo saves his life Mm -hmm. and he's just and he was contemplating taking the ticket from an old lady because he's a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> he's just the most, I have to give them credit for creating a character that is this narcissistic to the, the this kind of level that I don't know that I've ever seen before or since in anything. He's the most self-interested person I've ever encountered. And I, I wasn't necessarily on board with it at first. It was, and I'm not like, I'm not saying I didn't like it, but because I, you know, when you hear Baltar, you're like, as a original fan, you're like, oh, he's the, he's the bad guy. So the way that he comes off in this is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, I think it, it really starts to work over time and you, um, you start to see more of who he is. And I think that, you know, the show starts to figure it out too a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. there's some, there's some things that they, you know, they tried and gave up on. Um, but, uh, he becomes one of the most fascinating characters on the show. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then we meet Lee. Good old oh, Apollo. Lee. Oh, Lee. <laughs> oh, Lee. He's so angry right now and he hates his dad. And I, I have complicated feelings about Lee. Not quite as complicated mm-hmm. as the feelings I have about Jack Shepard from Lost, who I 
loved, then absolutely hated, then kind of came back around on mostly. Um, Lee is just the kind of character that I have very little patience for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's his stubbornness leads to not listening to another person's side. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting when he becomes a lawyer later. Mm-hmm. I find him. I find him fascinating. I never once hated Lee, but there were times where I was like, "Ugh, come on, man." Well, he serves a a very important role on the show, and I. But I think that's why they they had difficulty writing him over time, mm-hmm. um, and they were always trying to change things up and have him do other things but basically he always tried almost always did the right thing whatever that thing is supposed to be that you know they're supposed to do he was the one that would like be that guy and if he if they didn't do it he would he would call it out right so you could always count on him to be that but the show lives in the space of actually like, what do you do when you can't do the right thing all the time? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, it, like, the most expedient thing to do, the most heady thing, the most practical thing to do is different than the right thing. And they examine that often. And so that's why I think he comes, he he ends up being that sort of, like, stubborn person that you're like, come on, dude. Like, like we can't really do that in this moment. But, like, if he wasn't the conscience of the show then I think that they would have kind of lost their way. That's probably true. And I think now that you say that and me thinking about this and what I said about Jack Shepard, I'm a very, like, in my real life, I'm very black and white about things. Like, I know what's right. I know Mm -hmm. what's wrong. Oh, my God. There's a really fat cat outside my window. Um, (laughs) I've never seen it before. Anyway, um, I'm very, like, black and white about things like I know right from wrong I do not love gray areas I like I like decisions and um, a direction so maybe that's why I don't like characters like this because I see too much of myself in them characters Mm. that I love are the ones who do exist in that gray and have to Mm -hmm. figure out the right thing to do Mm -hmm. I'm never one that roots for the villain i there are villains i love but they're never like that's my guy like i'm never they're never my absolute favorite because you're a bad person you're not my favorite but you're compelling or whatever but like on Mm -hmm. lost it's sawyer sawyer Mm -hmm. goes from being this horrible person to being the hero and or Jamie Lannister. Like I love those kind of characters that you think they're they're one thing and they grow over time and they exist in that gray area where they have to figure things out mm-hmm. and get to the place where Lee just lives and is annoying. Yeah. So maybe I just mm-hmm. don't like myself. Maybe I'm just very annoying. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that kind of hit the nail when you said that about like he just he knows the right thing and sometimes you can't achieve that right thing. And then what do you do? I think that's what's frustrating for me about him. Yeah. It's, a, you know, the show does that. Again, this is way later. But the episode, I always think is really interesting when they um, they have the abortion um, mm. 
debates or topic. And it, it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, like microcosm or whatever of, of what Lee Adama is, where you kind of like know what the right thing is, but there's a practical, um, consideration to take into account and that whole episode is about like what do you do and i mean that's what the whole show is like what do you do in this situation yeah um so um it's uh, often an examination so again you need that you need that guy there to to like kind of show you or establish what the right thing is supposed to do and then you have to say well like okay but what should we do (laughs) or what can we do yeah what can we do because the right thing might not be what helps us live to to make it to tomorrow yeah so yeah then we get the stuff with uh boomer and chief where we established that they have a secret romance going on Secret lovers. I think it's because she's his superior. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. She's a lieutenant, and he's a you know a knuckle dragger. <laughs> so that's what they call him. Yeah, I think. Um, so yeah, definitely not allowed by regulations. But it's uh, it'll come up later. Lots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. I, I remember, like, what, you know, I started watching this in season two, so by that point, I already knew that they knew she was a Cylon and that she had tried to... I was going to say spoilers, but we established at the beginning. We're, there's yeah. no spoilers here. That she tries... You come here, you've seen the show, <laughs> yeah. or you have at least watched the episode... Before watching, like this. I can't remember where her where their story is, but I think by that point, Hilo had already returned with Athena, and this this Sharon Boomer had tried to assassinate Adama. So I already knew mm-hmm. all of that. I don't know if I knew that she'd had a relationship with Chief or not mm-hmm. when I went back to watch season one. So I thought it was. It was interesting, especially since I'd seen that character with Hilo mm-hmm. later. One of, one of the things about, again, this show is just so brilliant on lots of different levels, but it just it establishes their way of being on the ship before any of this happened. So it definitely was against regulations and everything, but everyone knew it was going on. Like they were trying to be yeah. secretive, but even when they, they, they sneak off, Hilo gives this look like, Oh, there they go again. Yeah. You know, Hilo's um, aware. Yeah. He's very aware. And he, you know, as they, as they move forward, he like, they talk like even more about his thoughts about it, but um, do they, I don't remember. Cause <clears throat> it's been a while since I rewatched the last time I rewatched this before rewatching these two episodes was mm-hmm. pre-pandemic. Um, I think back in like 2018 or 2019, I started rewatching the mm-hmm. show. So it's been a while. Does Hilo? When... Well, it's a lot. I mean, it it's a lot about how he like where he ends up with her. He talks about his feelings about when they were hooking up. Yeah. So, oh, but does yeah, he talk definitely. about his feelings for her before? No. Okay. Because he never talks about it before. No. In the show Bible. It actually does establish that Hilo has feelings for Sharon. He just has mm-hmm. never told her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I think um, my memory too is that at least in 
one of the podcasts that Ron Moore did. I don't even think Hilo was supposed to make it past the miniseries, actually. I think the studio was like, we really like this guy. Yeah. And so they brought him back well, and thank they, God. they kind of established. Because, yeah, he, because he became one of the pillars yes. of the show. And yeah. I'm going to put Hilo outside of my he's a good guy. He always wants to do the right thing. So he annoys me, Bucket, because he's maybe the one character who has those traits that never mm-hmm. that I always was like, yes, Hilo, love him. Listen to mm-hmm. Hilo. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's the way that Tomo played him or just the character in general, but he's like very high up in my rankings. Obviously, I had said I named my car after him. Um, fun fact, he, my car was going to be named Anders, but when I met my car, <laughs> I was like, no, it's definitely a Hilo. Um <laughs> It's but, funny like he he is just as like do the right thing yeah. as uh as Lee is he but I like is. I, but he's more vulnerable, he's a little softer. Maybe you can see it. like you could see the humanity in him. And I yeah. think that's why literally the studio was like he was testing better and they were just like bring him back. I you know, some, some a version of that happened. So um Trisha Helper, he, he, Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, I was just saying he does something like he does something in a much later episode where he does the right thing and it drives me nuts. And it was like, you did the worst thing possible. The worst thing possible. There could be a couple of those. Um, yeah. On the on the Battlestar Galacticast podcast, um, Trisha Helfer was saying that Tom O'Panacat is like just incredibly smart and warm and kind and the fact that he's so handsome makes all of that stuff even more annoying because he looks the way that he does, but he's, he's never like, she said, he's just has like no arrogance about him, mm-hmm. which was so nice to hear because yeah. I like him as an actor so much. And I mm-hmm. love him on this show. And when I worked for a talent agency, I tried really, really hard to convince the agents that I worked for that they needed to try to find out who these people from Battlestar Galactica who were Canadian, if they had representation in the U.S., and if they didn't, we needed them. Uh-huh. And Tama was on my list, and they did not listen to me. Uh, but they bummer. should have. No, they shouldn't have, because that was a shitty agency. But at the time, I just really <laughs> wanted to meet Tomo Peniket. He probably, like, you know, think about it, he, like, out of everybody on the show, he's probably, like, like, the most liked and loved and beloved character, I think. I really think about it. Hmm. Maybe, I mean... Him and Starbuck, maybe. Well, like, in a different way. Like, uh, Starbuck is just kind of... Starbuck, to me, is, like, the Wolverine character. Or even, like, uh, even like OG Starbuck. Like, you always like the rogue anti-hero type. Mm-hmm. Like, you just kind of like them. Um, but I just mean sort of, like... Again, like, he does the right thing. He's the hero... He's well liked by almost everybody. Like that's one of the things. Like he doesn't really have a lot of conflict with any of the other characters at all. Like he's he's like everybody else has like like they like one person, but then they they bump heads with somebody else. And Hilo just was like friends with everyone. <laughs> yeah, like the only time he has any kind of conflict with anyone is when he shows back up with with Sharon with Athena. right and they, yeah, and and it's sort of like they. It's because of his relationship with everybody that they kind of like give 
her any sort of chance. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Anyways, I think it's great. Yeah. Then, let's see. We have this whole ceremony. Um, we keep seeing this character, Doral, who is a PR person. He plays a big part later in the episodes. Uh, we meet Duala, who I uh, loved and then absolutely did not. And then <laughs> came back around on towards the end. I actually wrote in my notes this scene. <laughs> it's actually funny to me. I wrote, why is this show so woke? <laughs> <laughs> why? Jo- jokingly. Um <laughs> Because it was the whole like uh, they established the uh, the same sex bathroom, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel like if this same show was made today, people would be like, you know, yeah, why are you trying to put your agenda on us? But it's just like they were just showing a society that just kind yeah. of was a little bit different and practical. So the actress who plays Duala is. Absolutely beautiful. Just have to throw that out there. Yeah, I wrote uh, D. Hello, D. That's what I wrote <laughs> in my, my notes. Uh, what is her position? It says here she's she... petty officer, but she's like communications. Yeah, I don't know exactly what her like her role is, but yeah, she was always the one that was like, I mean, kind of like the ahura of the ship. Like she would always like. Um, yeah, like you said, communications, and she'd also be relaying to people what they needed to be doing at certain yeah. times, like kind of whatever the commander said, she would kind of relay that back. So, yeah. And what is Gata's role? What is his position? I, you know, Gata felt like he feels like operations, um, and he had like a little bit more of like a, he has like a, like a middle manager type vibe to him, but he also was like responsible for doing the, uh, calculations for the jumps. Yeah. So it was a little bit more scientific, but, um, not really 100% sure what his, uh, his like tag was. Um, I would like to throw out there that I would love to see Alessandro Giuliani in more work. He's so good. Everybody on the show is so good. I don't like when yeah. they disappear, and I feel like I haven't seen him in anything in a while, and he should be working more because he's, he's a very good actor. Yeah, I think a lot of these, I mean, because, you know, they were, most of them were Canadian. I yeah. think a lot of them just kind of live on Can- Canadian shows now, and that's why we don't really see them very often. Yeah. And they'll pop, they'll pop up in a movie every once in a while um, <laughs> that it happens to film in Canada as a background character but uh yeah i remember seeing him in man of steel um oh yeah i mean i saw that, that was, movie but i willfully do not remember anything about yeah. it that was also 10 years ago yeah. so. um i know for a while cursed joss whedon was really pulling from battlestar to fill in roles in his shows there were quite mm-hmm. a few people from battlestar that were in dollhouse yeah Hilo. Hilo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Jamie Bamber was on an episode. Um, Michael Hogan was on an episode. So, mm. yeah. I mean, I've seen some of these people pop up in things since, but I, I would, I really wish that they were in more. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's stuff about, uh, I'm reading this recap thing. 
about um, Adama having this perceived fear of computers that mm-hmm. uh, Roslyn sort of mocks him about that a little bit. And mm-hmm. that's where we get the whole thing about the network computers, how they're not networked because they can't be integrated by Cylons. And, you know, it's been 40 years. So everybody's like, oh, my God. So long ago. Not to make this a little too, but I, I think the show, again, why I think the show is so, it's such a parable of, about life, um, and it can be applied to so many different things, but I actually kind of see this in this, the whole, like, debate about vaccines and whatnot, because um, the people like myself and younger, we grew up in this environment where, like, I think vaccines are sort of like invisible to us so we take like we don't see the diseases anymore so we we were like we're like why do i need to do this right but the people like my like my grandparents say they had to actually deal with like um measles and polio and stuff they were like get your vaccines because they knew what it could do right um and that's kind of like how Adama was. Like he actually lived through this time where he had to deal with it. So that's why he was so adamant that he was not going to have his ship networked. Yeah. Um, even if it felt like that time was long past, he still was like, no. Um, whereas as uh, Rosalind, you know, she saw the benefits that it could bring, but she never really experienced the downside of that to the degree that he did. So she was a lot softer on it. Right. Um, but there was a there was a reality in there where having them networked could be to their detriment. Um, it seemed like a long shot um, <laughs> to most people that didn't live through that stuff, but he was kind of like still like kept that pilot light burning with that idea. Yeah, and there's this whole thing about Baltar and how he he's basically like a computer scientist and mm-hmm. – how his frame of mind is that, you know, there's so much that we could do. Yes, we created the Cylons. They rebelled against us, blah, blah. But that was a long time ago. And, like, there's no reason why advancement needs to stop because that happened. And right. And so he, in his hubris, allows this beautiful woman access to the defense mainframe, which allows her to put this virus in that then allows the Cylons to swoop in and take out 12 colonies. Right. In 30 minutes. In 30 which is wild. So it's here, wild. here we are on this, <laughs> you know, the Battlestar Galactica was the first of the battleships. So it's the oldest one. It's not networked because Adama is very set in like, it's unnecessary. Why would we do that? We, we unnetworked when we were in the Cylon War. We're not. We're not doing that. The ship runs fine. We're not upgrading, and that ends up being a benefit. Just like all of those Vipers that are in the museum, mm-hmm. they can still fly because they're not privy to this virus. So he's right. Even though I can see her side too. Like, oh, you're just mm-hmm. you're being so old fashioned about this. Yeah. I mean, again, that's one of the great things about the show because it's very gray. <laughs> yep. Because yeah, you could definitely see both sides, both sides to the equation. Um, and you know, they actually would have been safe if Baltar hadn't have uh, you know been led 
down the path he was. Well, they picked the right person who just needed yeah. to have his ego pumped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Literally pumped. Yeah. I heard it as it was coming out of my mouth, and I was like, well, it's too late now. <laughs> um, there's this whole thing with Adama and Lee and how they haven't talked in two years because Lee's brother, Zach, died in a flight accident when he was still in flight school. Mm-hmm. Lee assumes that Adama pulled strings to get Zach to pass flight school. Mm-hmm. And Adama never corrects him on that, which I don't understand why. I could actually be, I could be misinterpreting exactly what happened but my take or read on it and was that it wasn't so much that he pulled strings although if he said that please correct me but i just read it more of um the pressure that he put on his sons um to go into service it's both so, because he does yeah. say you use your connections to pass him through flight school mm, he, okay he never should yeah. have been in a plane he was never good mm-hmm. enough yeah. um and we learned later that it was Kara who passed him because she was his flight instructor and she just loved him too much to fail him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he died. Um, and just a little um, throwback to the OG. Um, there was a, their brother, Zach, was a, he was a pilot as well. He's the, one of the first ones to die and. uh the, when the Cylons attack, he flies out there and uh, gets killed. And that kind of like motivates uh, both Adama, um, Apollo, and their, his sister was Athena, actually, on the, uh, the original show. Um, and also, he was, Zach was played by Rick Springfield. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the Cylons attack after this decommissioning um, ceremony. Quick, right before you get to the attack, I just like the um, one of the the one of the themes of the show actually is talked about when um, Adama gives his uh, I call it like the um, uh, Air Force One moment when he gives his speech and he goes off script. Yeah. And he talks about just basically what the show is going to be about, like. We fought the Cylons, we beat the Cylons, but did we prove that we deserve to even exist still? Yeah. And the show just examines that constantly. True. That's true. He gives so many speeches, I can't remember all of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It was like the first, like, you know, it was like the moment. I think the show kind of like, it... it turns after that, obviously, but it sort of like sets up what they're going to be kind of like looking at and dealing with, um, like here on out. Yeah. So after the ceremony, Rosalind goes back to the ship that she came over on and the Vipers are all out to do, uh, basically a flyby. Mm hmm. Um, and the Cylons attack. Six explains to Baltar that she may die. This body may die, but my consciousness is going to be downloaded into another exact copy of this body. I'll remember everything. And then she saves him when 
he would have died in the explosion. And that's when they get a call on the Galactica that the Cylons have attacked. Which none of them thought they would hear again because the Cylons had disappeared for 40 years. It's such a great scene, too. It's just it's very, like, quiet and still, which is, again, one of the things I love about the show. It, like, played it a lot differently than you, I guess, you would kind of suspect because it's such a big moment. But it's just really Adama in his room getting the call mm-hmm. and and he hangs it up and he's kind of like, I think, hoping reality catches up to him or something because he just can't quite process it just yet. Yeah. So he um, informs the rest of the crew that these attacks have happened. Um, They say that the PyCon fleet headquarters have been destroyed. And everybody should get ready for combat. They don't have a lot of or any ammunition. I think they don't have really any because they're being Mm -hmm. decommissioned. Ty is ordered to look up any munitions depots that they can get to. So yeah, they had no no ammunition. It's uh yeah, it's definitely the backbone of the of part two yeah. of this episode as I'm getting munitions. Um Starbuck is let out of the brig, but all of the Vipers are already out, right? So she doesn't even get into a Viper for a while. Because she has, she ends up in one of the new or the old ones, the old ones, yeah. And they have to <laughs> they had to go down to to get them right yeah, from the uh, out of the museum, out of the museum, yeah. And there's something about one of the launch tubes, I think, or maybe it's one of the um, landing bays has been turned into the museum. Yeah, it, they said it, it's been a, it's a gift shop. They a said, gift shop. Yeah. So they, yeah, why can't we launch from here or whatever? Yeah. yeah, it's like it's a gift shop now. So they need so. to get all of these planes over to yeah. the one deck that they have to use. Yeah, and then there's a whole like they you know they they talk about it and and like briefly in the scene, but um, um, they're able to be operated, but they're not like you know, up to par. So they have to be worked on really quickly to actually um, be able to fly. Yeah. So all the Vipers that are out, they all lose power. And before that happens, D starts getting reports about a lot of unusual equipment failures. Like even a Battlestar lost all power. Mm-hmm. So when we as the audience see these Vipers suddenly lose our power and then just start floating away we kind of know like okay here comes the Cylons yeah I wrote uh, in my notes I wrote R.I.P. CAG that's when the (laughs) (laughs) that's when the CAG uh, pieces out yeah and Boomer is the pilot of the Raptor and I guess Raptor's sort of they fly alongside the Viper squadrons. Um, I think they're like navigation or something. I don't really know exactly what the Raptors. Yeah, they were like navigation and they were like tactical also. So they would kind of, and I think right before that, right before the battle, the CAG tells her to, tells them to keep their distance. Yeah. Um, so they're the one that they're kind of like relaying what's coming in and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that's why they weren't right in the midst of the, 
the fight at the time. Right. Uh, but they do get a little bit of damage. Hilo gets some, he gets a, not a horrible wound, but a wound from some debris that comes through. There's a, like a hole blown through the floor of the raptor, which he seals up. And they see that these, like, they have no contact with the vipers. And they can see them mm-hmm. all just sort of floating. So she ends up turning off their power so they just look like debris. Mm-hmm. And floating towards Caprica. Because they're, like, two hours out or something. Yeah, and obviously she learned that in Cylon Espionage School. Well, Probably. That was that was a joke. I don't know. She, <laughs> she's she's still a sleeper agent right now. So mm-hmm. when they get to Caprica, to Caprica City, it's basically like the planet has just been nuked by multiple bombs, and they eventually. I don't know if it's. I think it's in the second episode when all of the people come running towards them. Um, no, this is, it's still, we're still in the first, uh, the first episode. Um, I wrote <laughs> in my notes, I wrote, uh, boxy exclamation points. Cause this is, this was like, a an, in the OG show, there was a, there was a kid character that was created, uh, like to, I guess, to resonate with children. So he was like a big, he was a pretty big part of the, the original show. So when you first see this character, he has the same haircut, like, you're automatically you know who he is and they kind of reveal him a little bit later um (laughs) but this is when he's shown and when he gets into the raptor um right this is also when we first see head six this is the very first time we see her yeah um after baltar is actually on the ship and it's taking taking off i think he sees her in the crowd yeah, in the crowd, yeah. But she doesn't talk to him until later. Mm-hmm. This scene, to me, is when the show actually tells you what it's going to be. Like, not just the show, but the series. And really, um, it ends up being about, like, making hard choices. And you see the level of hard choices that they have to make consistently. Um, there's a few more scenes in this episode and then the next, uh, in the, in part two in the miniseries, but, um, and throughout the show, again, it's just like kind of being thrown up against how do we do this? And in this instance, it's like, okay, you know, we shouldn't, we're on a mission. We need to get back Hilo again, like the, you know, we have to do the right thing. He's like, or no, actually, I think, uh, actually I think boomers the one that says that we can take a few people. Yep. Um, well, she said they you know, take they... all the kids, and then she says we have room for six more, so we'll do a lottery. Right. And then they get those people, and then you get to this the great moment with uh, <laughs> with uh, uh, Baltar, like, and the woman that has the old woman that I don't have my glasses. Could you read this? And it's the number they were calling out, and for a second he was about to like, you know take her place but then right in that moment mr hilo who always does the right thing recognizes baltar and gives up his seat so that baltar can go back to the galactica because he's like thinking 
if this is the end of all things and this is the last bit of humanity, we're going to need the world's smartest man to go. Yeah. And so you go and I'll stay, which is that guy. That's why he's different than Lee, actually. (laughs) Yeah, because Lee would have been like, I'm too important. I need to help you navigate this ship. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think that's the heart part of Hilo that we get. Like, he does the yeah. right thing, but he's a very, like, very heart-based person. The funny thing in that scene with Baltar is he sees the Hilo. When Hilo says, aren't you guys Baltar? He immediately is like, I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't going to steal her number. Absolutely not. Why would you think that? Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> God. The the show like as as dark uh you know serious as it is it has some really good like smart comedic moments. Um Baltar is like the center of a lot of them, yeah. but um there's 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 a lot of stuff that happens every once in a while that's like great. Sometimes unintentionally funny, but um still still funny nonetheless. But There's a really funny line in part 2 after Adama like realizes that Rosalind was right about if we're going to survive, we need to start having babies. He's looking at oh, yeah. Philly and D and he says, <laughs> "We need to. they need to start having babies. And Ty yeah. says, is that an order? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> oh, so good. Good writing. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, so on, on the Galactica, the problem, the hard choice they have to make is that they've been hit by the Cylons and there's a fire and if they don't vent it, the whole ship will burn. But if they do vent it, there's all these people in there who aren't going to be able to get out fast enough. So they're going to, you know, Chief keeps saying there's a hundred people down there. Mm-hmm. And Ty has to make the tough decision of do I save a hundred people and sacrifice the ship? Or do I sacrifice a hundred people and save the ship? Mm-hmm. which is a shitty position to be in, but the right decision is made. You can't, you have to save the ship. This is all we have. The thing that I actually think is interesting about this, um, and as I've watched the scene uh, over the years, I, I kind of understand it a little bit differently, where I actually think they could have taken more time and been okay. But this scene was about showing Ty step up finally. Um, Cause like prior to that, <laughs> you know, uh, Adama is like, you know, if you're the XO, you got to like be the XO. You like, we're, like fun and game time is over now. Right. Um, and then in that moment, Ty kind of doesn't know what to do and he looks over to Adama and then he kind of like the switch goes off and he becomes like from that moment till you know till he starts hearing music he becomes the tie that we all kind of like love right um and one of the things I love about that like a little bit later is that when um Tyrrell is like confronting Adama and saying like, I just needed 40 seconds or whatever it was. I, I kind of read Adama's responses like, yeah, like without saying as much as like, you're right. 
we could have, but that's the choice that EXO made. And I think he says, um, even if it was a stupid choice, I would have made the same one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know that in reality, uh, Ty made the like the correct choice that like, so he could have actually saved everybody, but he made the best choice that he could have made in that moment. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, again, it's one of the great things about the show is what do you do in those moments when you have to make a choice? Um, there's n- hardly ever a right or wrong. Um, but if he had have like waited too long, like I said, he could have like sacrificed the entire ship. So it's, uh, and they play with this a little bit later in, uh, Season two, actually, um, when the Cylons, uh, like, board the ship. Um, but, yeah, anyways, I actually, like, watching watching the scene again, I'm actually seeing how it's a lot more nuanced than, like, I think it read initially when I, you know, watched the first few times. So I will do this constantly to tell you how great I think this show is. <laughs> I think it's a sign of a good leader that Adama maybe would have made a different choice, maybe would have taken that extra 40 seconds to try to get 50 of those 100 people to safety. Mm -hmm. But his EXO made a choice. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if the person lower down the chain agrees with it. Mm -hmm. I would have done the same thing. Like, Mm -hmm. that is the sign of a good leader that you... You, whether you agree or not, you support your second in command mm-hmm. to the person who's questioning them. If he wants exactly. to turn around and address that with Ty later and say, hey, you jumped the gun on this. You could have waited. Here's the reasons why. Here's what we know. That's different. That's a private conversation. Mm-hmm. But you don't, mm-hmm. you don't take the side of somebody who is subordinate to the XO with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, Even if it undermines quote, the XO. Quote, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Chain of command, all that stuff. It's great. It's good stuff. I mean, so as, military. <laughs> as somebody who manages a store, it, I, all I can think is if one of my baristas came to me and was like, the supervisor did this and blah, blah, blah. I would automatically be like, they, they made the right decision with the information Mm -hmm. that they had. I would have done the same thing because Mm -hmm. that shows that I support them when they are in the leadership position. It's not Mm -hmm. your place to question what you have Mm -hmm. been told to do or what they did. They did what they thought was the right thing, whether it was right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And then if it was wrong, then I can go to that supervisor and say, Hey, so in this situation, this was, you shouldn't have made that decision. Here's why. Why did you, or even ask them, why did you make that decision? Here's what I mm-hmm. would have done. So next time, maybe think about it this way. Whatever. Like it's still, you still want to support the people that are down the chain in command. Yeah. There's two two things I wrote in my notes at this part. I wrote, I like how Adama backed Saul's play. And the other part I wrote was RIP Kevin Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> I could never even remember that guy anyway. So when yeah, when yeah. Callie was cradling the burnt body, I was like, am I supposed to know who that is? Yeah. 
It just looks so much like Kevin Dillon. It was like unsettling <laughs> to me. Like I just couldn't. I'm sure get over Kevin it. Dillon appreciates all of these call outs since nobody has talked about him <laughs> since Entourage ended. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we get Rosalind getting sworn in by Alosha, who is this priestess. Um, we've talked already about how Rosalind just, you know, this wasn't what she asked for. It wasn't what she ever wanted, but it's what has fallen in her lap. So she takes that ball and runs with it which is also the sign of a good leader yeah there's this there's a scene like a little bit before this where she um when the pilot of the soon to be um what's the name of it uh it'll be colonial one, one. Clo- yeah the soon, soon to be colonial one when he gets the communique um and he's trying to read it and his hand's shaking yeah and she grabs his hand and she's the one to steady it. Like, again, it's just like the amount of character that's conveyed in that moment without actually having them have to go through a whole bunch of dialogue <laughs> about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a kind of ironic because I, a little bit earlier, she's like in the bathroom. She's the one that's shaky dealing with her own her own personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it comes to this, all of a sudden she's the one that grabs his hand and steadies him so that he can read the communique and get all the information about how everything's spiraling and she, she soon to be president. <laughs> I relate to her in that I, I will get all up in my head and anxious about stuff. I'm a very anxious person. I worry a lot. I come up with all kinds of scenarios, like worst case scenario for everything. I'm always worst case scenarioing everything. But when something has to be done and it is like, if it's, I don't want to say crisis because I don't think I've ever really been in an actual crisis, you know, but like Mm -hmm. when action has to be taken, I get very clear and Mm -hmm. very capable and just I jump into action really self-assured and confident where mm-hmm. inside I might still be like, fuck about everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know what it is about like high pressure situations where I get very calm and able to operate really well. So when I all of these little things where it seems like she's going to be a mess. And then mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, she's she's the one that's got the steady hand. And I just yeah. I just really appreciate that be, because I, I don't know, I guess I see a little bit of myself in that. I'm not as cool as her. She's very cool. She gets um she gets sworn in and on the Galactica they have found a munitions depot to go to and so Adama is like, All right, We are spooling up our FTL drives. We are jumping to this, to these coordinates. And she's like, uh, no, we're going to go around and save all of these people. And he's just like, the fuck is this guy? Like the, Mm -hmm. she's the secretary of education. No, thank you. This is a military operation. And so we get this like initial of them butting heads where it's like Mm -hmm. government versus military. And the episode ends with the Galactica preparing for their jump. 
Um, well, it actually ends, I think, with an even more exclamation point. Oh, right. Where, yeah, because right w- right in the midst of that scene, all of a sudden there's a... The Cylon show uh, up. Yeah, Cylon shows up. And this is actually a really cool scene, too, because Apollo gets kind of gets dismissed by um rosalind um because he's like you know kind of like wants to do something and so he asks to be excused and he goes down to the cargo bay starts fiddling with something um but meanwhile on the ship um the the cylon approaches shoots a missile or a nuke or whatever and um it appears that colonial one is blown up and that scene in my notes, I write first cry <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Adama, like faced with have like losing his son in the midst of all of like everything that's happened, like even before the episode started, like he already lost a son. Um, son's come, son comes back, the whole world's collapsing, and then personally losing his son so close. Um, Oh, and the entire uh, bridge crew is like looking on, and they all like n- like have met Lee, and so they all get the impact it has. That it is that scene is so powerful, <laughs> and it's the first time that um, James Edward James almost like shows like true emotion, and like he's 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 a very stoic a lot but in this moment like he breaks yeah and he like i don't he like he gives his like adama tears i call them <laughs> where like his face could be sad but you know they barely start leaking um and then he like gets it together really quickly but that's like he definitely is kind of like broken um it's such a great way to end a part one so for sure. what Lee did was there were these EMPs, these electromagnetic somethings, um, down in the cargo bay that were being taken back to Caprica. And he has the idea to set one of those off because it would it would derail the trajectory of the missile, I think. Mm-hmm. Or it would disrupt the missile. So this this electron or electromagnetic pulse pulse is the word I was looking for will shut down the ship, but it'll also shut down that missile. But what they mm-hmm. see on their dratus, their radar, is this what looks like a thermonuclear blast to them, right? Because they're all retro, no satellites. Yeah. So yeah, that's why on the Galactica they think that Lee died. Yeah. And when we start the next episode, Chief tells Starbuck that Apollo died and also that Boomer is missing. Yeah, when we start part 2 of my notes, I just wrote um the very the very start cuz it just it's basically starts right in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um and um it's still him kind of like everyone's quiet <laughs> and kind of like figuring out what they're going to do next and kind of waiting on him and he kind of gets it together and you know 
prepare to jump and all that stuff. Um, but I just wrote in my notes, this show is hard. And that's kind of like, again, it goes back to like having to make all the tough choices and everything. So in the midst of everything, he's just like, we gotta, we still have a mission. We still gotta like get these munitions and, and whatnot. So they have to often do these incredibly difficult things in the face of, um, already difficult things. So that's when they actually jump, right? Yeah. And this is the very first jump. And they kind of talk about it, too, a little bit. I don't know how um, established this was, but they – I don't get the impression that any they ever used their FTLs ever, <laughs> like the entire fleet. They always kind of like went – like in, you know, in like Star Trek terms, it was like always under impulse speed. They talk about it a little bit. Um, earlier where um, that to get to that station that they're talking about would take like three days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they, that's why they make the choice to jump. Um, but no one's like, they haven't, no one's really done it in a while. So they're relying on um, Gata to do the calculations. And it's a big question, even if they can make it or not. Um, that first jump is actually a lot different than um, any of the other jumps that we see. I think it's the only time we actually see like, what it looks and feels like for them inside. Yeah, they do Um, that Lord of the Rings widening while zooming kind of shot. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That's the last time we see it. Every every other time, it's just like the bright flash and they go to the next spot. It looks very effortless from from here on out. But in in this moment, uh, even Callie, she's like, like, oh, I hate this part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Boomer is in the Raptor out in space and she f- sends out a communications drone hoping that a colonial ship will figure out where they are. Mm. Uh, Gaius is now, now he is, he knows that there is a number six in his head. She, he sees her. Oh, he, right. He's still in the Raptor. I was thinking, like, when did he get on Colonial One? But no, he's not there yet. Mm-hmm. He's Yeah. Then we learn that Lee and everybody survived because of what he did. And the Galactica ends up at this... What is it? A... Yeah, it's yeah. Oh, the it's uh, some kind of... It's not quite a nebula, yeah. but just like a some kind of storm. Yeah. And... You know, I think that uh, through the – some stuff that comes up later, like later episodes and actually in Blood and Chrome, um, it actually the, – the, the Blood and Chrome was the very last spinoff that Battlestar had um, that showed the first Cylon War. Um, but it actually answered this question. I actually always – there was like one thing I – I thought was like a stretch about this um, episode. We'll get to a little bit later, um, but um, Adama seemed to be a little quick to surmise that the Cylons were humans now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's a logic to why they placed this munitions depot in this storm. Um, it's because I think that the um, the colonial army already had suspicions that this was actually 
something that the Cylons were going to be doing. So they knew that it would um, possibly disrupt um, their machinery. And also it was a good place just to hide. They wouldn't be able to detect it there. So that's why it was in the midst of this hurricane or whatever it was. Well, when we get into, because that happens very quickly after this, they dock with this station and we meet Leobin. Mm-hmm. First, the first Leobin that we meet. Um, and he's all messed up. And later, uh, Adama says, it's the radiation from the storm. It's messing with your silica, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Science, science. So <laughs> I'm guessing like there was no way for them to know that the Cylons were going to evolve into like human mm-hmm. models. But because they're made of machinery, they knew that the radiation would affect the components of the, you know, metal robot Cylons. Right. So when he, when they meet Leobin at first, I don't think he suspects it's just, it's later in that conversation when they get stuck and they have to look for a different pathway out. Mm -hmm. Like the things that Leobin is saying, I think is what sparks for Adama that like, Oh, I, I get what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And in, and so um, we're never going to get there. So in Blood and Chrome, actually, Adama ends up like on this mission. It's like I think it's his very first mission um, as a pilot. And he is on this planet and he sees like all of these experiments that um, the Cylons have been doing with humans. So he sees all these body parts and stuff, and it's just like, he's he's basically like WTF, right? So that's, to me, that sort of like answered why he would have even had that suspicion years later. Um, Because like when you you see the scene, you you can tell like they're up to something, but he didn't know what it was at the time. But um, it involved like all these people like, you know, hanging and all this other stuff. It's pretty, pretty gruesome. Um, But yeah, so that because like I I, again, when I first watched the show and even like all the way through, I was always like, yeah, that seems like a leap that he would think that. But, you know, they kind of answered it in Blood and Chrome anyway. So. I'm okay with it. Um, I was okay with it before. It's like, whatever, it's a show. But um, it, he kind of, I think, puts two and two together and then okay. m- makes the leap there. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like this episode has less to like dig into. Mm-hmm. We can probably speed through it a little bit more because it's really more like big set pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think I was talking to you about that a little bit earlier, like the Part two is a little it's a little bit more there's a lot more minutiae, I think. Um the first the the weights or the the speed of the the concept is in the first part. So definitely we can mm-hmm. speed it along for sure. So we get uh just to sort of illustrate that suddenly boomer has been found by colonial one we don't know how there's no explanation just i guess they got that beacon Mm -hmm. because she's suddenly on their ship she's got all of these refugees with her and they start going around finding survivors Mm -hmm. they get a botanical cruiser which looks really cool 
meet a little girl. This is pretty much the only part of this show that I was like, ugh. <laughs> is the stuff with the little girl. First of all, nothing against a child actor, but she's not a good child actor. Um, actually, she's... yeah, I mean, I actually think that they, I mean, I don't know. I think they played it that way on purpose. I don't think she was a great actress either, but they kind of like played up her she she mispronounced something. I wrote it down. Like it was it was such a mispronouncement of something. She called it Caprica City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I caught that too. Yeah. Caprica. <laughs> um. But yeah, there's this little girl, and she's like, "Oh, my parents are meeting us in Caprica City, and I'm with my grandparents." And then later on, they have to leave all of these ships that don't have FTL drives. One being the botanical cruiser. So we get this whole like scene of this little girl just la, 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 playing with her doll while the Cylons are flying overhead, probably going to destroy them. And I read, I'm reading this book called So Say We All, mm -hmm. which is a unauthorized oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And they talk about how there was an executive at Sci-Fi who was like, no. You're not doing this scene with the little girl. You're not going to have the little girl go into an act break with us knowing that the Cylons are going to kill her. But then between when they were shooting and when that conversation happened, he no longer worked at Universal. And the person who took his place never mentioned that scene. So they're like, cool, we get to shoot the scene with the act, the act out with the little girl. Um, I just call me heartless. I don't know. I just don't like that kind of visual manipulation. Like I know I'm supposed to feel really bad mm -hmm. because it's a kid. Mm -hmm. I feel just as bad if you showed me an adult sitting there. Like it doesn't have to be a kid. It just feels really pandering mm -hmm. for me, which is why that scene doesn't work for me. I mean, I definitely like, could see it. it. Like with the the way they set it up, and with the music that they're playing, and there's sort of there's a there's a there's a mechanical nature of even Rosalind in that scene, where she's a little mm -hmm. bit too like just like, we gotta leave. <laughs> um, yeah, I can I definitely can see that. I I mean I I like to like I'm kind of like do me make me hurt. Like I <laughs> show 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 I'm me. Not, you know. I'm not against being emotionally manipulated in the way that they are doing it. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really cheap to have it with a child mm -hmm. because it's it's for lack of a better term, it feels really common. Mm -hmm. You could have a lot of people sitting around sort of enjoying themselves. Like, we're in a desperate situation, but we're on this beautiful ship with these trees and whatever. So they're, like, having a picnic or whatever, just living. And it has the same emotional resonance for me than having a child sitting there still by herself. Yeah. Where are her grandparents playing with a doll? Like, it just feels cheap. So to me, it's sort of like... That is one of those unspoken off limits rules. Like we don't like it's like don't harm children is often like a thing you don't 
you know, they yeah. When you're watching which is a movie, why I think that I think that one guy. That's why he was against it, right? Like, no, you don't do this, right? And then, but they, so that even if the sh- it might to me, if it might feel pandering, it's more like they're just putting a drawing a line in the sand of like what to expect on the show, basically. So, um, yeah, I. I I agree with I like I agree with you in a lot of ways just how like for me it's the flow of that sequence it just it feels different than the rest of the show actually um but mm-hmm. I don't I don't mind that instance at the same time Okay Yeah So eventually after they abandon some of their newly acquired fleet they use their FTL drives, they end up outside of this storm. Or they come in and they join with the Galactica. Mm -hmm. So everybody's sort of in the same place. Mm -hmm. Rosalind and Billy and everybody, whoever, come onto the Galactica. I think it's probably most of the people because it's a bigger ship. And Billy sees Dee and she runs up and kisses him, which seem to throw him um i wrote that sexual assault (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean technically it is um boomer sees chief what else happens there's all these reunions uh lee lets um kara know that he's alive but all the while adama is still sort of stuck down in this whatever the munitions depot is not a ship with Leobin and figures out that he's a Cylon and they have a whole big fight fighty fight fight thing which I think you just kind of have to I suppose have a very (laughs) slow moving fight with the old man (laughs) yeah he I mean that was another thing I just it it did seem like it was a bit of a stretch that like Adama would be able to you know beat this guy but I guess he was already like you know worn down enough that yeah yeah, he was he was being you know decomposing from the inside all of his little wires weren't connecting anymore yeah it's got radiation poisoning yeah um it's one of the few okay. times in the show, actually, where they actually show a Cylon, like, the strength that they're capable of. Um, yeah. They, they don't really do it very often, but every once in a while. They do it They do it with Leo Bin in a, a few episodes later, actually. But um, for the most part, they always just seem to be just basically human. But every once in a while, like, they have extra strength and stuff. And he does it, definitely does it here. They do it with um, Caprica 6. Mm-hmm. Against uh, Starbuck later, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so there's this whole thing with them trying to make the audience understand how Edward James Olmos can be the father of Jamie Bamber. So (laughs) Edward James Olmos, he chose, Yeah. he suggested to wear blue contacts. Jamie Bamber dyed his hair darker. Mm -hmm. I hate this decision. Uh Uh-huh. I wish it had never happened. It bothers me every time they do a close-up on Adama's face. It, it's so funny. It makes, it makes no sense. It's so funny. I literally wrote, because I, I knew that all along, but um, 
and that I wrote in my notes that 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 line because like they had that sh- they had the close up and you see his blue contacts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's just as easily explained when you show the picture of them as children and you see that Zach has like the darker skin and the darker hair and Lee was a little more light skinned and blonde and his wife was blonde. Like genetics, it's fine. We can. It, it feels like treating the audience as stupid, mm-hmm. um, which I know was not their intention. And I know Edward James almost made this choice. Like, I'll just wear blue contacts because Jamie Bamber, they're going to make him wear brown ones, mm. which is an even worse decision. <laughs> and he was like, no, I'll wear blue. It's fine. But I don't think it was necessary. And I wish that they I wish they'd just been like, it'll be OK. If we say you're his dad, you're his dad and people will believe it. We'll just make them believe it. Um, it's a it's a very small quibble. It makes it feel to me like we can't ever really see the depth of Edward James Olmos's eye acting, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because the contacts are always sort of <sighs> false. Well, the... They're always a little there's always something a little synthetic about his eyes. The funny thing for me was like I never noticed. I mean, I even I remember listening to you know a podcast once, and I remember Ron Moore saying that. But it, it's something I never even knew. Like I never noticed, I never saw. This is the first time watching it that I actually saw it, and it was because I was watching it on a sort of like modern today TV. Um, like a big screen TV. Like at the time, I was watching on a lot smaller screens and. I might even have like a CRT screen back when it first came on, you know, when it first came on. I used to watch it like on my, uh, I used to have a setup on my computer and I watch it there Um, and the screen. But anyways, I could, there was a lot of things I noticed um, just like on a bigger screen now that I never noticed before. Um, There was way earlier back in the, uh, when they were on caprica and it was in the scene where uh six is uh kills the little baby um and they're in that little water garden park um mm-hmm. that actually appears in a, a later episode um there's just like a quick scene of some kids running in the background and they're they're they have like cylon heads and they're playing and uh like i never noticed that before but it was just because my tv is way bigger now so yeah <laughs> um but anyways, that kind of has nothing to do with like the choice that they made. But I, you know, um, I, I definitely agree what you said. Like um, it's it was it's sort of treating the audience like they're stupid or, <laughs> or something. I don't know the words yeah, that you used. Like we didn't we didn't need a shortcut or a shorthand to understand that this is his dad. Like yeah. It just it's doubting that your audience is going to believe something, which I think executives do a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe not creatives as much, but executives do. And I understand that, you know, Eddie was like, no, nah, I got it. I'll do it. It's fine. You don't have to make him not have his blue eyes. Mm-hmm. I just don't think either either one of them should have had to make that choice. Yeah. The funny thing is that. Uh... Edward James Almost's son, his actual son, is actually appears on the show. 
and you don't even we actually represented him at my oh agency, did you oh which nice is another reason why i was like can we get some more Battlestar people yeah uh, okay we we what's his name brody yeah uh bodie bodie almost bodie yeah bodie almost yeah um because uh the agent that i worked for was really good friends with with edward james almost oh uh, cool and so we represented bodie but that was like he was already on Battlestar when I started working there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he plays hot dog. Yeah, hot dog. Yeah, and and you know, like you never. <laughs> I mean, never I, look at him and go. He looks strangely like Edward James. Almost. Yeah, I would have never. I didn't. I when he first <laughs> appeared, I didn't know he was. Yeah, that's who he was, and I just it was just through like listening and reading stuff. I was like, oh, that's his son, and I've actually yeah. like. I, I do, you know, when I was really into triathlons, he he was doing them well, and I see him every once in a while, like out there oh. on the road or getting ready to swim and stuff, and it's just like, is yeah. he tall? He looks tall. Um, no, he's he's on the shorter side. I Interesting. Think. Yeah, I think um, Eddie almost is only like five, six, or seven. I think he looks short. Yeah, Bodie always looked tall. Maybe he was just next to short people. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, to me, tall is relative. Not that I'm the tallest person, but <laughs> a lot of people are shorter than me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pretty short, uh-huh. but I have a fairly good eye of realizing like who's actually tall and who's not. Yeah. Um, and he always just seemed tall to me. Like I know that Tamo is really tall. I think he's like six three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he looks really tall. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jamie Bamber is like a tiny little elf man, right? He's yeah, like Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, I, anyway. I always assume every actor's short, so I, <laughs> until I meet them and I'm like, oh, so many of them are. Yeah. So the whole fleet they're together, and the Cylons find them. Uh, Adama goes. He gets back on the Galactica. And he does he tell anybody right away? I don't remember. Does he tell anyone right away that they look like us now? Um, no, there's a scene when they're um, uh, he's like getting medical care, and he tells um, Ty. He tells Ty. Yeah, and it because it cuts it cuts from Baltar inferring it when he's having a conversation with head six and then it cuts right to Ty saying the same thing. Um, but so far only those people know. <clears throat> I skipped a whole thing. There's a whole thing with, with got with Baltar and head mm-hmm. six where he knows because she looks human and she's basically like anyone could be a Cylon. And she points out like there's, that little device up there doesn't belong and he just decides that it's got to be doral the pr guy who is the cylon again this is brilliant writing actually so i don't i don't think that he this and this goes back to like um uh, baltar being the opportunistic um, person that he is it wasn't that he again. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't. It wasn't that he thought Dural was a Cylon. He just was like, "I need to pin this on somebody else," and he is as good a person as any for me to do it. 
So it was very opportunistic. And as it turns out, he happened to be correct. He picked somebody who was standing there. And I love that Six is like, well, I haven't seen him at any of our Cylon parties. Uh-huh. Which is also a lie. But we as an audience don't know it's a lie at this point. Yeah. And he's just like, okay, it's I'm going to say it's him. And I'm I'm the one who is making this Cylon detector and he just sets this guy up and it's just a lucky shot. I mean, it's great. It's, it's so great. Cause when they, when they put him, when they leave him, like you're not sure. <laughs> and you actually think that they just were like, yeah, he might be human or not. He's really convincing. Yeah. And then I've read in, it wasn't the sh- I don't think it was the show Bible. It might have been the show Bible mm-hmm. that that Doral, that particular one, also was a sleeper agent. He mm-hmm. didn't know he wasn't human. Oh, interesting. So when he's fighting, it's because he's he believes it. Mm-hmm. He believes he's human. He doesn't know he's a Cylon. Mm-hmm. He's like Sharon. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating because i never read it that way once i knew he was a cylon i just always assumed that he was protesting because he was playing a part yeah me too like the i guess it's the because the way he's protesting like when you find out he's a cylon it's like oh yeah like if i were pretending to be (laughs) if i was pretending to be a fake i would bite that hard too in a way um but it's the way that he when he's sitting there at the very end and they come in he like he knows so i just always assume that he just like the the gig was up and when the actual cylons come he you know he's to his normal self. Yeah, by then, but that might have been because the radiation was starting to get to him too. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely could have been it. So then there's that little thing that looks like, oh, what does that remind me of? Fire alarm? Kind of, yeah, like yeah. a fire alarm. Smoke detector, yeah. I mean? Yes. I knew what you meant. <laughs> nobody, nobody realized that it was there. They just, I noticed it, I think it was Gata that was like, I noticed it like a week ago, but I just thought it had to do with like, the museum and the decommissioning. And so then they're like, is there anything else you didn't notice a week ago? Mm -hmm. So they're on the lookout for more sort of Cylon planted things. At this point, when they're talking about the smoke detector thing and talking to Gata, they still haven't informed Gata that the Cylons look like them, right? Right. Have they? No, I don't know that Gata finds out. Does he? He doesn't find out in this episode, does he? I don't think he finds out for till much later. Actually, I think in my memory, yeah, when he has to start These working notes. on the Cylon detector with the right. Yeah. Uh, these notes in it's like a Battlestar Galactic wiki says Baltar explains to Ty he performed discrete tests on everyone's CIC and identified Doral as synthetic um which he he, he totally made up yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> he mentions the device on the Dreadus console Ty goes to observe the device's removal Gata apologizes for not informing him of the device which he noticed a week earlier presumed to be part of the museum and then the device is taken over to Baltar for study and Ty orders a search of the ship for any other mystery equipment that quote just appeared 
So no, I guess they didn't tell. They haven't told anyone yet. Okay. Yeah. Does Adama? I know I'm asking a lot of dumb questions because I just <laughs> rewatched this, but it's been like it's been a couple of days, and I also watched 33, so I'm trying not to think about stuff from that episode. Uh-huh. Does Adama tell Rosalind that they look like us? I don't think he tells her right away. I think. I feel like they have a conversation about it. No, no, no. He no. Wait. I know. I think that they might discuss it towards the end, maybe. But I don't know that they actually. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they. I don't think. I don't think she knows actually. It because it becomes a, it becomes a topic of some later episodes that come up pretty pretty soon but i'm not sure that um yeah i think it's the yeah, i not... think it's the second episode when everybody sort of like becomes privy to the okay to the knowledge but right now i don't think she knows um i think it's just yeah. like that really small group and um yeah so they discuss adama and rosalind discuss resupplies and then there's this there's the astral queen which has a bunch of convicts in their like lower deck and she refuses the captain's suggestion of executing all of them which um Adama I don't know how he feels about that but she does ask him if he's going to stage a coup mhm flat out <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then he he says he's not going to so she basically takes this as he uh, is recognizing her as president now mm-hmm. he but he doesn't want to commit to protecting the fleet he still seems to think that they're in a war and she's like uh the war is over right we lost yeah you need to understand that right. there's fifty thousand people we need to find some place to take them. I don't think that this is when she says that we, maybe this is where she says, if we're going to survive this, we need to start making babies. Yeah, that's what she says. It. So this is when they do their like really fancy maneuver of having the Battlestar come out of the storm because the Cylons are there and sort of act as cover mm-hmm. so that all of the fleet can come out really quick, just enough out of the storm that they can jump. And then once they jump, then the Battlestar, the Galactica jumps too. Again, this was a great, um, you know, goes to that idea of like, how are we going to play this? Because, if they were just in it for themselves, they, you know, Ty's plan was just to stick. He says, stick our nose out and then jump. But when um, Adama is like, no, we need to like, we need to like basically run and we're, we're done fighting. That's when he's like, we got to bring, he's like, we're going to bring her out five clicks. And <laughs> and uh, you're gonna hear me do like my Adama talk um, okay. periodically over this, um, <laughs> but yeah, they so they jump out five ticks and they're basically just gonna take hits while the rest yeah. of the fleet while the while the civilian fleet gets out far enough to jump away, 
and um, that's sort of sort of what the Galactica like becomes for a lot of the show. It's a great a relation- shield. Yeah, it's a great relationship, like, just from the ships alone. How uh, how it exists, and it's just like this, you know, it's a bucket of bolts, and it's really like it's a you know battle. It's it's designed to actually take a lot of like a lot of impact, which we see when it takes a impact of a nuke um, earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a war war horse, and uh, it's a it. But it establishes that like the relationship between the Galactica and the fleet from there, um, with the from the advice of um, of Rosalind. So this is also where we have the Vipers out fighting, and Lee his Viper gets some damage, and he. It looks like he just basically has no power. And Starbuck does this crazy thing where she, like, flips around and hitches him, his Viper to hers and crash lands on the Galactica right before they jump. Mm -hmm. Because they won't leave without either of them. Yeah. And he wasn't, he was like, leave me. She refused. Yeah. So that was this crazy move that she made. And Adama at that point is not leaving his son. (laughs) Yeah. Again, so yeah. No, oh, really. yeah. And there's earlier they have their reunion, Adama and Lee, where Adama hugs him for a very, very long time, and Lee's just kind of like, "What is happening?" Yeah. Right now? <laughs> so after all of this, Adama wants to. They're doing their big funeral, basically, mm-hmm. and he instead of giving one of his normal speeches, starts talking about the legendary 13th colony, Earth, that there were there were 13 tribes. They left Cobol and scattered around the solar system and established the 12 colonies, but there was a 13th colony that went to this place that is a myth called Earth. And he knows where it is. So we're going to be going to find Earth. Or he knows the sort of vicinity. Mm-hmm. Seems I don't know exactly where it is, but I know where where they think it is. Well, he in the in that moment he says he knows the location and that's where they're going. And oh, right. yeah, and uh it's actually really funny because I remember when I first watched it I was like he's totally pulling this out of his ass right now. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't believe, even though I knew that that's what the show was about, obviously. Um, but I was just kind of like, I said, it did felt very weird, the delivery of it. And as it turns out, it was. It was a lie, yeah. Yeah. And that's when he tells Roslyn that you need to, it's not just enough to survive you have to have something to live for yeah which that line hit me right in my heart um because i what now my yeah i i do have one it's like it's (laughs) it needs i need to it needs to spool up like a jump drive every once in a while (laughs) it hasn't been used for yeah yeah but uh (laughs) when he said that because i mean it's again it's just one of those it's life lessons right um and i feel like a lot of us kind of going through that um, mm. on this other side of this whatever phase of uh, the last um, few years have brought us collectively. And it's like, um, 
yeah, it's not just enough to live anymore. We all have to feel like there's something to live for. Um, and, uh, yeah, it hits hard for me. It reminds me of my favorite, my favorite speech of all time from Lord of the Rings to Two Towers. Mm -hmm. When Samwise talks about how there's good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. There's good in this world, Mr. Frodo. It's my favorite thing that's ever, my favorite speech ever. Um, and I, at that came out at a similar time to this, where we were in a place where we had been attacked as a country. It was very new for all of us. We all felt very insecure. We were at the in this war. It, everything just felt unsafe, even though looking back it probably wasn't as unsafe as it felt like it was but it was a scary time and when i heard that speech in that movie it gave me hope it made me feel like yes that's true there is good in this world we have to fight for it. we have to we are not terrorists i feel a little differently now but <laughs> it's sort of the same thing in this in this show, which was created around the same time, but very heavily influenced by the events of 9-11 and the aftermath of all of that. So a speech like that from Adama also just, you know, I watched this not when it aired, but a, probably a year later. Mm -hmm. Everything was still fresh. It was like 2004. Mm -hmm. I still was, you know, at that time couldn't even look at old pictures of the Twin Towers mm -hmm. because it was so upsetting i mean i still can't so that's i have a hard time that's still where i'm at, at them. i true. will i will turn if it ever video footage ever comes on to this day i look away turn it off whatever i still have not looked at it since 2001 i never I oh never i don't will. mean the attack i never yeah. watch footage of the attack i mean just like in old movies you'll see the oh, two towers okay and yeah. i'm just like I, I have a hard time even looking at them when they were okay yeah because it's so upsetting that it why they're gone uh -huh. um so in 2004 it still felt very very fresh yeah. and that speech from adama also just made me it gave me a little boost of like yeah we can find a way through this mm -hmm. we'll find a way through this even though we have this guy running our country she said <laughs> she said too she's like they're gonna be so mad at you um yeah and he, and he was just like, they'll get over it. <laughs> I thought that was great, too. It's just, True. It is so, like, it's just so, like, practical. And yeah. they're just kind of like, we're just, they're just trying to get through to the next day. And they're just making the best choices they can in the moment. And um, kind of, mm -hmm. and it just shows you that, like, you know, outside of, like, moral choices, um, most of life is just that, right? It's just, like. Th things happen and you're just doing the best you can to get to the next day or to the next moment and kind of deal with what you can then. And so that, I yeah, just, I just thought that was great. A really great moment. The next thing we see is that Adama has a paper in his quarters with a typed statement saying there are only 12 Cylon models. So that's mm -hmm. how we learn as an audience that there are 12. Yeah. I suppose that means 12 human Cylon models, not counting the Centurions. Yeah, I mean, 
that's I've always interpreted it that way. Um, yeah. I'm fuzzy on who sent that. Yeah, same. And I meant to look <laughs> like look up. I don't think they ever really like say. And I, as I was watching it, I was like, who would have sent that to him? Maybe Baltar. But, He's but, the only one who would know. But would would Baltar know? If Six told him, and we just didn't see it. Yeah, no, I, I, I there's, there's never, there was never. I don't so that know. wouldn't help her at all. Yeah, I just don't know who would have. And there was a part of me that like thought maybe like the military intelligence because it, it, it was on a like a official printout dot matrix printer <laughs> paper so it felt like mm-hmm. it's like maybe that's how he knew like i don't know it's just, it, they never really like go back to that either he just it's just kind of you established don't. that there are 12 silence and then from from then on out it's at the beginning of the uh episodes right so it's like yep. the um but in terms of like from I within think it the was, story yeah i think it was like we need the audience to know this mm-hmm and we'll, we'll like retrofit if we need to. Yeah. And they just never needed to. Yeah. It was just sort of like known at that <clears throat> point. We just kept rolling with it. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to, we go back to the uh, munition station, and that's when we learn that Doral is a Cylon. And we see a number six, more of. Doral, and then the Leobin, and then at the end, we get Boomer. And that's how the audience learns that Boomer is a secret Cylon. And even though I'm watching the whole episode, and whenever she's on, I'm like, obviously, she's a Cylon. I know that. Um, It gets me every time at the end. (laughs) When Mm -hmm. she walks in, I'm always like, oh, yeah, you know. It's such a. What gets me every time is that they didn't want to film all of these people, these three or four actors, wearing a bunch of different clothes. So all of them are just wearing the same clothes. Right. They actually talk. They actually they actually talk about how they shot that. I mean, at the time, it was actually um, the technology that they used was they had to like keep setting up some camera and having them come in, and they were working on a really low budget too. Like you don't. When you when you look at when you actually look at the sets and stuff, you're actually how brilliant it is that they were like the, how they set the show up so that they can be really low budget but still have it appear to be great. But yeah, they I totally noticed that too. All wearing the same clothes and didn't really. I understand yeah. why they did it. I I totally do. Yeah, I understand that the technology was limited at the time and it was easier to copy and like paste in. Yeah. But I just wish that they were wearing different clothes so it wasn't quite so obvious mm-hmm. now. I mean, if you you think about it, too. I mean, because there were more Cylon models that weren't even a secret yet. They just – they weren't they, – some of them weren't even introduced until um, seasons yeah. two and whatever. And, like, they, like, technically could have been there, too. But it just – you know, the practicalities of TV and um, storytelling, I guess, they weren't yeah, there. Yeah, they – they didn't have. They didn't know they were gonna have a Deanna. They didn't know that they were gonna have Rick Worthy's character. Like they didn't know who the other Silence were yet. So yeah. we don't see them. So I was I was dating someone once um, a little while ago, and yeah, I was telling her to watch the show, and and I remember like she 
watched the she watched the Vinny series, and I remember her texting me, "What, <laughs> Sharon?" She was so shocked <laughs> and beside herself, and I was like, "Yeah, I know." I was like, "This, this is what it is. This, this is what the show is about." And yeah, it was a it was a pretty big. I mean, just because again, like if you go into the show just being a fan of the old show, like expecting Boomer, who was one of the, you know, the allies to Apollo to be like the good guys and and just outside of this character Sharon being a Cylon, it was just like, oh wow, they're totally flipping this on us a little bit. So Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't wait to talk about when we get to season three mm-hmm. and we learn about those of our people who are Cylons mm-hmm. and how much my, <laughs> I can't, oh my God. <laughs> I was like screaming watching yeah. that episode. I could not, I was so excited and shocked and like impressed yeah. with the show for doing what they did and making it who they made it. I yeah. just, it's brilliant. Can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. I do remember uh, Ron Moore saying like, we, like we actually went back and made sure that they, it all made like, you know, they, all these people could be who they, we said they were. And, you know, it, uh, it was good stuff, man. I like some people don't like it. You know, you're never going to make everybody happy. I, for the most part, I liked it. There was the, you know, there's one character I think that I think we love them so much that it kind of like in a, in a certain way, in a certain way takes away from how they were up to that moment. But when I like, watching this episode and i'm watching that character and i was just like in my brain they are the who they are until that moment and then all of a sudden they become the cylon actor you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah i can't wait till we get there so before we wrap up i just want to introduce some little little categories we're gonna try to stick with on every episode so the first one is, was Baltar the worst this week? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, to me, no, but. I, he was to me, he was not the worst this no. week. I don't know who is the worst, but we can segue that into the throw them out the airlock category, which is the loser of the episode. I'm going to, I'm going to vote for Leobin. Huh. Um, I mean, like we didn't really talk. I brought him up a few times, but uh, for me, it's the character Boxy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, throw the kid out the airlock. Yeah, okay. throw the kid out the airlock, and I actually feel like that they basically end up doing that on the show. Um, but it's it's funny. To, it was funny to me because it was pretty clear at the outset that they were going to try to use this character in a in a in a way. You know, to like sort of like honor the old show, but it just didn't make sense after a while. And they just were like, yeah, well, let's put him out the airlock. But the fact that he was appeared as often as he did and like he he was in the sequences uh, at the end when everybody was kind of um, uh, when they were having their denouement where they were every like. Uh, they go back to the card game and they invite him in to play. And 
ties goes to his room and he's drinking again so it was definitely like they were trying to set him up to be this ongoing character so i vote to put him out the airlock because he was pretty useless in the show bible under the character descriptions for different characters there is this one for sharon valeri mm-hmm. and a about how bit by bit Sharon will discover clues pointing to her true nature, but instead of pursuing them, she will fight against them on an intuitive level and instead will attempt to form a family with Chief Tyrrell and Boxy, seeking out the one thing she can never be, a Mm -hmm. maternal role in Mm -hmm. the human family. Yeah, and I mean, you see that. You you see that. There's a couple episodes. Now now that I brought it up and you watch it again, you're going to see these moments where they, they are like, we got to do something with this boxy. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they dropped it. I never had a problem with um, what they did later with Athena and mm-hmm. Hilo mm-hmm. and Hera. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was more organic. Mm-hmm. It was great. I nope. mean, it was like, no it pun was, intended. It was the, <laughs> that's funny, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that relationship, it, again, it's just so, ugh. It's so great. Is it? Yeah, the, the way that they, it, again, it, it becomes the heart of the show in a lot of ways and like plot wise and um, just TV show wise, like we show yeah. up to see, to, we really connect with that um, family because that's really what the show's about, really. Mm-hmm. So... So I'm I'm guessing that they saw like well you know we can't this kid's not going to stay a kid we're not moving through time as fast as kids grow mm-hmm. everybody needs to learn from the Walt disaster of Lost and <laughs> not have these children who grow faster than time moves on the show Walt so it's good that they sort of sidelined that character and but still kept the idea of a Sharon who wants to have a family mm-hmm. and. But also added this whole other level of what? How? Mm-hmm. Because no one knew it was possible, not even the Cylons. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have so much to talk about when we get there. Yeah, a lot of people, this like sort of fast forward to the finale, not, not a plot point, but a lot of people um, were upset because, you know, even granted, uh, on the in the opening titles of every episode, you know, it says there are twelve Cylons, blah 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 blah, and they have a plan. And so a lot of people were interpreting that differently. And for me, we were watching their plan. Um, it wasn't something to be revealed. We were actually watching it happen in real time. And a lot of that plan was to find out what it is to be alive. And that's the question that, that's the question, the very first line that um, Six says um, on the- First um, line in the whole series. Yeah, in the whole series, are you alive? And that's what the, in, that's what the plan is. <laughs> and, and that is also why we are not going to rewatch the plan mm-hmm. oh, or I, ever talk about it. Yeah, I mean, the plan was that it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good- uh, the, the, I was, I felt like the bits with Simon were actually good, but the other the uh, the other parts weren't weren't good. So, but anyway, I felt like it derailed all of the all of the goodwill that the show had garnered mm-hmm. in order to get it made. It mm-hmm. took away from what was established on this show, mm-hmm. and I realized 
I don't need to know their plan. Mm-hmm. It's okay that I don't know their plan. Their plan is dumb. I would rather not know it. It, the, the real silence would have come up with something a little more sophisticated than what the humans who wrote that miniseries did. So yeah, yeah. Because I mean, again, it was their what they were doing. And again, another reason why I think the show is so great is because it, like, yes, they were the they were the villains um, of the show, but it was them exploring what it meant, like you know existence reality like what it, are you alive what is it to be alive what is this thing called love and they were exploring all of that and and they were they were doing a number of things to explore that and often the humans were in the way um but again that's what their plan was it wasn't like we we're building a weapon to um destroy the galaxy that i think that's what people were kind of thinking but i never really personally never saw or thought that it just was like this is their plan you're watching it every episode <laughs> um we want to we've turned ourselves into humans and now we're trying to be as human as possible and we're kind of looking at the humans as our guide and also our adversaries in that quest as our guide but also how can we improve on it mm-hmm. exactly and they make mistakes so- and you know and, yeah. Yeah. The Cylons make as many mistakes as the humans do. Yeah. But I'm uh, team I'm team human by the way, just in case you're wondering, <laughs> not like <laughs> I'm mostly team human. Yeah. I go back and forth. There's yeah. there are definitely some weeks where I was team Cylon. It just depends yeah. on who and what. Uh but that segues well into this week's favorite Cylon. Do you have a favorite Cylon this week? Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, I'm going to say six. <laughs> Which six? Um, Caprica six? Caprica or six. six. Yeah, Caprica okay. six, I'm going to say, because I definitely, um, you know, the scenes that she's in, I'm, you know, it, I was admiring her. Mm. <laughs> Which, I'll, just, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> My favorite style on this week is Boomer and will probably remain boomer for quite a while mm-hmm. there's i mean there's there's some episodes i definitely will say boomer but um to me it's just i mean obviously we know she's a cylon but um she, the when she's playing as a person knowing that she's a cylon later that's when it becomes a little, like really interesting to me um, mm-hmm. But right here, she's at least in my head. She's Sharon Valeri for most yeah, of the she, episode. Yeah, she doesn't know anything else. Yeah, for yeah. a couple episodes anyway. Yeah. Um. So next week is when we get into the actual series. <clears throat> the actual series with thirty-three, which is the first episode. Um. If listeners are following along, the entire series is on Peacock. But they do this infuriating thing that they also did on Amazon where the miniseries is separate. Mm-hmm. And then you have to find Battlestar Galactica and start with season one, episode one. Yeah, that I, I, I found Battlestar and I started playing and I was like, wait a minute. Why are they saying previously? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So next week we'll get into the actual series with the very first episode and i can't wait to talk about it oh yeah we're at that after the miniseries we were okay 
that was pretty pretty good start. What are you going to do now? And again, it set up uh, it set the show up for success all the way through. It told us what it was going to be about. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And you do not have to wait a year between miniseries and series like everyone else did. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> not me, but you guys did. Yeah. <laughs> so until then, what do you hear, Diallo? Nothing but the rain. Bye. <laughs> See ya. listening to the Geekscape Network.